Hello and welcome to episode 13 of A Tale of Two Singles. In this episode, we have a very special guest, the wonderful John Mark Comer. For those of you who haven't heard of John Mark, he's the pastor for teaching and vision at Bridgetown Church in Portland and the author of some great and very popular books, including The Ruthless Elimination of Harry, God Has a Name and Loveology. Coming up, I chat to him about singleness, ask his advice for A Tale of Two Singles listeners and attempt to overcome my Christian Britishness by asking him about sex. It was great to get to chat to John Mark Comer, so I really hope you enjoy listening. You can find out more about him and his books by visiting johnmarkcomer.com. Happy listening, friends! One, two, three, woo! Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Excited for this episode. Yeah, no, I'm all, like, I'm actually very, very excited because I have not heard this and you had to interview John Mark Comer by himself. By himself? <laughs> by yourself. Because <laughs> I was busy otherwise engaged. Yeah. At the time. Um, and guys... I feel like, firstly, you just need to picture, I mean, you might not know what my face looks like, but you can just imagine what my face looks like when <laughs> John Mark Comer is talking about some of these things, because a lot of you guys have been asking us to talk about sex and sexuality, mm-hmm. and I've been like, oh, well, if you've listened to the Beer Christianity episode we were on, I was like, yeah. I don't want to talk about that, because I'm very awkward, but I heard your pleas, <laughs> and I was like, you know what, we're going to talk about this, and if we're going to start, we may as well start... With, you know, big names. So 8.30 in the morning, John Mark Comer pops on my screen. And I was like, let's talk about sex. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do this. And he really, he did talk about it. Really? I love this. So I love this. What I love the most about this whole scenario (laughs) is, one, I know how much you hate talking about sex (laughs) and anything to do with it. And the fact that when we were trying to name this podcast... You couldn't even say the word shag. <laughs> you struggled to say it then. <laughs> shag. <laughs> because it's too embarrassing. <laughs> so, I know, and can I say the message that you sent me immediately after you'd finished the interview? Sure. You were like, <laughs> you said orgasm so many times that I literally cannot wait to hear this. I could, I literally just laughed so much at that message. <laughs> In imagining your face trying to navigate that conversation. Yeah, well, I think hopefully you'll all agree I kept it ever professional. Great, I'm sure you did. Um, so hopefully your respect for me, if it wasn't already sky high, we'll just <laughs> rock it up after this. <laughs> Beyond the moon. Um, I'm now associated with John Mark Comer, and I'm not sure if he wants to be associated with me, but this is out there for the world, so thanks. Here your it name. is. Should we go for it? Let's go for it. I cannot wait to hear. Great. Here we go. So John Mark Comer, so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for getting up to chat to me. Hi Sarah, good morning. How are you doing? Doing fine. Where are you in good. the world? I am in Oxford in the UK. Oh, so is yeah. it is it raining or do you have a little semblance of summer still outside? Mm, no, I think summer sadly passed by. <laughs> Today is really cold, which is really sad. <laughs> oh, yeah. So How is it? In, you're in Portland, right? Yeah. 
the weather here is basically identical to Oxford from about November 1 to April. And then the difference is we have this glorious summer that you don't have. I'm so sorry. That's okay. (laughs) But I'm, I'm, I'm about to join you in your misery. Well, I would say great, but I don't really wish that upon anyone. So I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready to begin? Yeah, sure. Go. So the church obviously generally talks a lot about marriage and Mm -hmm. in my experience, it's generally not so good at talking about singleness and dating unless it's talking about singleness as like a calling or singleness as a waiting, you know, a temporary waiting stage for marriage. Mm. How can the church do singleness better? Mm. Well, I mean, I think the nice thing is we have a wealth of resources to draw on from our tradition, from the writings of the New Testament, from the life of Jesus, who was single and never had sex, from the life of Paul. You know, the ironic thing about the hyperemphasis on marriage in not all, but in a lot of the Western church is most of the great saints down through church history were all single, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have Jesus, you have Paul, you have most of the great saints um, that were all single. So you have this robust like set of resources to draw on that I think we need to kind of go back to and tap into. And, um, and I think there's just a gold mine there of wisdom and best practices. Now you're not going to learn from Paul like, how to date in, you know, modern day secular internet, you know, urban culture. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think he would chuckle at the question, you know, (laughs) but you are going to learn a theology of singleness and a theology of sex and a theology of human relationships and the need for love and acceptance and intimacy that could give you a frame, you know, and I think the need, ironically, you know, you know, all the stats, you know, if you're in a country like England or America, the number of single people is not only large, but it's growing on an exponential rate with the breakdown of the family, with easy divorce. You know, you have for the first time in my country ever in its history, you have more single people than married people. And that, you know, sociologists point to that as a tectonic shift in the culture. So I I think that the older stereotype of the church is hyper-focused on marriage. I think that will change just without any virtue or intentionality, just by by virtue of the fact that, you know, my church is just, my church is like 60, 70, 67% single, I think, you know, and that's just, we're in an urban context, you know, in an urban context, there's, you know, lower rates of marriage and so on and so forth. So, um, so I think some of it will come about naturally and, and what we need to do is drawn the resources of Jesus and Paul and the Christian tradition, because obviously their view of singleness is very much at odds with the kind of secular culture around us. It's very different. Yeah, totally agree. And I think often kind of the dating singleness like talks that we have are more in youth groups when you're teenagers, you know, there's like kind of, Oh, how to right. date, how to be single, waiting for, you know, the love of your life yes. and everything. But how does that message, does that message need to change when you're talking to people who are in their 30s and 40s and are single? Like life is very different. Yeah, very different and more complex. And, you know, and I mean, that's a holistic view. You know, the ironic thing is dating as a, you know, as you know, is a modern Western phenomenon. It's not even, you know, a century old or at most it's a century old, you know. 
And so the dominant model still around the world and for sure down through history was at least courtship, if not full on arranged marriage. You know, Indian matchmaker in America right now is making the rounds, you know what I mean? And it's so Yeah, I've watched that too. <laughs> I, I've actually, I've not seen that. My, my wife, my wife is a, an avid lover of reality <laughs> TV shows about stuff like that. And so she was debriefing with me, but it's just fascinating to read the controversy and the debate and the interpretation of it. And, how Westerners perceive something like that is just an interesting, like people's perception of the show is I think more interesting than the show itself, you know? And, um, but you know, that, that was the norm and still is around much of the world. Mm -hmm. So once you get into dating, you know, this is where I just think you need the family of God because you're not talking about like a, a moral biblical right or wrong. You're talking about just wisdom. What's, you know, chokmah in the language of Hebrew? Like, what's a skillful way to navigate relationships? And so you can bring biblical principles to bear. And one of the main ones is that we do all we do in community. And that's the biggest critique of dating. And, you know, one of the reasons I think there's so much pain and fallout in both the romantic world for single people and for marriage is because it's done in this hyper isolation, you know, with no people around you when you are at your least rational, you know what I mean? Because your body is like flooded with, you know, all sorts of with dopamine and all the things are coursing through your body when you, you know, quote, fall in love. There's this thing that God designed and wired into your nervous system that's like doing its thing, but it makes you less and less rational. M. Scott Peck is a fascinating psychologist, um, you know, said that he thought that was put into, I mean, he wrote this earlier in his life when he was still secular, became a Christian later in life. But earlier when his model was evolutionary theory, you know, he said, I, I think we evolved to generate these chemicals to propel us toward marriage because we would never get married if we knew how hard it actually was, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. So there's actually like, there's a good side to the irrational part. Like, you know, you could argue that God put that like in you because if we, any of us knew how hard marriage and family actually were, we would stay single for life, you know, yeah. um, which is the message you don't hear from culture or if you do, it's from a cynical perspective, you know, and it's not a cynical thing at all. It's beautiful. And so I think, um, I think the point there is, you know, the biggest critique of dating is that it isolates you from family and community and wisdom. And you're, when you're at your least rational point, when you most need other people's input, perspective, judgment, care, you know, processing. And so you can bring biblical principles like, hey, we live in community. We make decisions together in community. You can bring those principles in and apply them to the modern world, you know. But then you get into all the gray area of online dating and social media and, you know what I mean, all and the redefinition of gender roles and like all that stuff, you know what I mean? So I just think yeah. we need to be family more than ever before. Yeah, 100%. Okay, I'm 30 years old and I feel awkward to ask you a question about sex, which might be partly because I am British, but I also think it's partly because I've grown up. That's in okay. America. I'm 40 years old and have been married for almost 20 years. I feel awkward to answer any okay. question about singleness. <laughs> I'm clearly not the expert. Okay, well, it seems like from the people that I've been talking to and from myself that there's a disconnect in the church's teaching about sex. So it's discussed in like, if at all, in very narrow black and white parameters. Um, but more often than not, I feel like it's not recognizing that single people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s are like have a sexuality. Yes. Um, and can single adults be Christians and embrace their sexuality and not feel shame? And is the church 
like currently at risk of stunning people's psychosexual development in the way that it approaches the topic. Oh, that's great. I mean, would you explain a little bit more, you know, define what you mean by expressing their sexuality? I feel like there's a lot of repression where people feel like they can't talk about sex, they can't like have any of those like feelings or emotions. Um, and yet, if and when they do get married, then suddenly they have to switch overnight and be having sex. And like, I just, it just isn't natural. And obviously, there's a lot of people in the church who have had sex before who've maybe come from outside the church or that's just something that's happened or they've gone through abuse and there's it's not simple it's not like when you're 15 or when you get married when you're 20 to when you're 30 40 people have developed um and they have like a sexual identity first off you need to start with a theology of, of what is a human being and what is human sexuality you know and at a theological level human sexuality is is built into your body as a good thing that was created by God himself. Like God thought up sexuality, not Freud, not Hollywood, not Madison Avenue. God thought it up, you know, so it's good. And it's wired into our body as, you know, most theologians would argue a drive for communion and creativity. Communion just meaning for a depth of intimacy, you know, as personified in that beautiful line in Genesis they were, the man and his wife were naked and they felt no shame, right? That's the ultimate expression of intimacy. When you are naked, both literally and emotionally with another person, where your whole self, your body and your whole self are laid bare. I mean, why is it that in every culture across the world, and there's variations, but we have this concept of private parts that we cover, you know, less and less in the West, but you know what I mean? And this sense of, so there's a sense of communion of when your whole person is laid bare and exposed and you don't feel shame, right? And we've been feeling shame ever since sin entered. That's before sin, right? Ever since sin entered the picture, we've been naked and full of shame, you know? And so there's this ache in us for a kind of relationship where we can be completely open physically, but more importantly, emotionally and spiritually and who we actually are with no spin, no, you know, we use clothing to cover ourselves and to hide our shame and to present an image to the world and to manipulate ourselves to make us look better than we actually are in order to win people's approval or to get power over people or to get ahead in our career or to be, you know, in our social group, whatever it is. Clothing is, a, is often a form, it's, it's more than just like staying warm and safe it's a way to it's a way that we project an image out into the world and we attempt to manipulate people really to love us and so there's this innate drive in us to be naked and ashamed for communion but then more than that for creativity you have to remember it was only a few decades ago that human beings could really even think about sexuality in a separate category from family from procreation from children that was not an option until, you know, really until birth control. And I don't think people in the West who just grew up in a kind of birth control kind of world have any idea what a tectonic shift that has done in people's view of human sexuality. You would never be able to even, you didn't even have the option of thinking about how do I express my, my sexuality without also thinking Am I ready to care for children? How do I provide for them? How are we going to feed them? What are we going to do? Am I ready? You know what I mean? Those are the same conversation. And, you know, and I don't necessarily mean this in a Catholic, you know, anti-birth control way, though I think Catholics have something good to say on this that we need to listen to. 
um, whether or not you go to the full route of, you know, kind of the rules they put around it. Either way, I think their, their theology is spot on, the theology of the body. All that to say, the second ache is for creativity. It's, it's human sexuality is the drive, not just to commune with another person, but to make more life, to give yourself away. It's Trinitarian love, like in, in Trinitarian love. And this is why God must be a Trinity because without three, there cannot be love. God must be a relationship. And whenever there's two in a relationship, that love can be narcissistic. It can just be self-feeding. And much of romantic love is just projected narcissism. It's just, I love you because of how you make me feel. And until, you know, love becomes Trinitarian, love has not become altruistic, has not become agape in the language of the New Testament, where it's about self-giving for the good of another. So human sexuality is this drive to commune with another, but also to create, to like fill, to give away your love in a self-sacrificial way. As any parent knows, you know, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do in your whole life, you know. So all that to say, I think in a theology of human sexuality, God has created this good thing and it's about more than just the survival of our species and pleasure, which is the secular view. And now that the world is, as many people believe, overpopulated, it's just about pleasure. And in that kind of a worldview, Christian theology of sex and, you know, kind of the morals around it, it literally makes no sense to a secular person. It's just like, it feels good. Why, do, why can't I do it with these other people? But in a, in a Christian theology where human sexuality is good, but it's created by God and it's about this deeper need and desire and impulse in the human spirit for communion and creativity that opens up all new possibilities. So it's a long answer to your question. Forgive me. I'm just waking up and you know, I, I need to just clear my mind a little bit. But I think, um, you know, for single people, first off, you need a theology of sex that says it's good. So you're not living and some of the older traditions of the church where there's a lot of negativity around sex. And then people are expected on their wedding night, which is I think what you're referring to, mm -hmm. to kind of flip and be like, I've been repressing, 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 you know, saying, no, this is bad. And then all of a sudden, this is the best thing ever. And I want to do it. You know what I mean? And that's a yeah. huge emotional shift for people. So you need a theology that says it's good. And then in order to contain your sexuality, ironically, you need to bypass your body's good and natural desire for an orgasm and realize that the deeper desire is actually for communion and creativity. And there are ways that we see in the life of Jesus and so many of the saints to be not sexually active and yet fulfill that deep sexual desire in a sense for communion, intimacy, vulnerability with other people in relationship and creativity. You know, Jesus whole scholars argue that, you know, the, what we call the great commission at the end of Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations. And there's a complex kind of, you know, linguistic thing that's lost in translation, but scholars argue that is Jesus re-saying the cultural mandate of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. And he's saying that you can fulfill that desire and that even that call of God in you to be fruitful and multiply through discipleship, basically, through making disciples into the kingdom of heaven. So there are other ways to tap into that impulse that God put us in us to fill the world up, you know, with more life. So, but all that to say, it is enormously difficult. Mm. You know, sexuality is hard for everybody. It's hard for married people, but single people don't realize that. It's hard for single people, you know, for sure. It's hard for Christians. It's hard for non-Christians. It's hard for sexually active people. It's hard for celibate people. It's, human sexuality is just hard, and it's a part, and it's a gift. But it is hard, and it is a a fire in many of us. And so I think a big part is helping people understand the goodness of it and tapping into the deeper desire below kind of the, the natural good bodily desire for an orgasm 
to tap into what actually that desire is for, which is why so many people have an orgasm on a regular basis via tender, but they feel completely hollow and empty because they're not actually experiencing what human sexuality is supposed to do. And so they're cheapening and hollowing it out to where they're having the orgasm and they're not actually having true human sexuality. And so do you think that the church needs to be more openly talking about things like this and like married and single people like reorientate themselves a bit more to be more of a community because often it can end up when people have families of course that takes their focus and that is natural because it is really demanding and really hard and then it can become I don't know you miss out on parts of life if you're only single people together and you're not in part of that bigger kind of family community as well. Yeah, I mean, I always am a little hesitant to talk about what the church should do or shouldn't do because the church, I mean, it doesn't really exist other than in theology, you know what I mean? Like, mm. with every church is different, yeah. and you know what I mean? And every church is going to reflect some of the demographics of its place, you know? And um, there are some places that are mostly families or mostly elderly people or mostly young single professionals in a city or mostly students at Oxford or wherever, you know? So I think um, every church is different. And yeah, of course, the dream is that every church would move toward a kind of multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-stage of life where there are children and single people and older single people and teenage single people and married couples and grandmas and grandpas who are all doing life together and each one has a, a role to play and a voice into the life of the community and a voice into the leadership of the church you know so i mean it's invaluable we have a you know one of the main pastors at our church is a single woman and so last week we're just teaching through matthew 19 right now and there's a section in there on marriage and divorce, and then a section on singleness, basically, on the eunuch. And so I, I taught, I taught <laughs> neither of us had a fun time, but <laughs> I taught last week on marriage and divorce, and she's teaching this week on eunuchs, God bless her, but on singleness, you know? And mm-hmm. it, is, it is good to have that perspective. I could, I could exegete what the Bible says about singleness, but I'm a 40-year-old married man with three children. Yeah. I'm not exactly living from the inside out, it's, you know what I mean? but she is. And so she has a, a wisdom and a life and a spiritual authority as somebody who's living well as a 30 something single woman that I don't have, you know, and vice versa. Not that she couldn't teach on marriage, but she's never been married. So it wouldn't be as helpful, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, if, if what you're asking is, do we need those voices? Yes, we need yeah. those voices. And to whatever degree possible, the church needs to cultivate that. But we ha- we have to remember that there's always the ideal of what a church should be and no church can possibly live up to that ideal because we're human, we're flawed, every church has its own limitations. You know, Bonhoeffer said, he who loves the ideal of the community becomes the destroyer of the community. So idealism, which moves us forward, can also become toxic if it's not grounded in a humble reality and compassion. Amazing. I am like, I know I'm running out of time, but can I just ask you to Oh yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. So what kind, most of the people who are listening to our podcast in their twenties and thirties, mostly women, but some men too, what one piece of advice would you give to them? Don't settle. You know, I see that temptation followers of Jesus. You know, if you're in a Western secular city or town or context, you are a minority. Even if you are a white person, you know, you're not an ethnic minority, but we are a, what sociologists call cognitive minority. Our 
our worldview, the way we think about what it means to be human, what it means to be sexual, what, what marriage is, what gender is, what fan, is, is, is sharply at odds with the host culture, more with every single year. And so the temptation is overwhelming when you're single and you're lonely to, and there are so few other Christians around, you know what I mean? It's a small pool, so to speak, you know? Um, so the, tempta the temptation is constant to, to settle for somebody who's either not a follower of Jesus or not strong in the faith or whatever. And that's a great temptation that must be resisted. What single, you know, what single people don't realize is that marriage does not necessarily solve loneliness. And what, you know, you, there's certain things you can say in culture and other things you can't say in culture, in particular in the church, the church there, I just said it, in lots of churches. And, you know, it's okay to say that there are a lot of single people who wish they were married. What you don't hear as much is that there are actually a lot of married people who wish they were single. Mm -hmm. And that's not to sound cynical around marriage at all. Marriage is beautiful, but it is the hardest thing. Marriage and family are the two hardest things that most people who get married will ever do. It's to say, if you are not happy and joyful and content as a single person, you won't be as a married person and vice versa, you know, and you can apply that to all sorts of different, you know, stage of life. things. So I think, you know, the call for young people is to realize there are worse things than singleness and the lonely. And that's not to discount the loneliness, you know, that many feel. It's to say there are even worse things of being in the wrong kind of marriage or being unequally yoked in the language of Paul in the New Testament to be in a relationship with somebody who does not share your deepest convictions about what life is all about. And that, that will be a constant weight or sabotage to your spiritual formation into the image of Christ. You don't want that, you know? So I think that's the, that's the main word as, you know, we think about some of our dearest single friends and we literally last night, I was on a date late last night with my wife. And we're talking about three single people that we are so close to that we love so much and they are all just ache to be married you know and if we could flip a switch and provide them with the perfect you know partner we'd do it right now you know mm -hmm. and um but man i'm so proud of them for waiting and holding and finding life in the family of god along the way you know great thank you and then finally you've written a book loveology about kind of the theology of love and obviously you said there's dating is not in the bible obviously people in the biblical times did not date um yeah but is there kind of one view one biblical view of sex and of relationships if there is please enlighten us <laughs> yeah, yeah there's no like karma sutra manual in the bible oh yeah no and, i didn't mean like literally physically yeah. <laughs> to have sex. and there's no like you know here's the 10 best positions that have god's blessing or whatever and there's no um, you know, dating manual, obviously dating is a modern Western urban construct, you know, based on entertainment culture. So with, but there is very clear scriptural teaching about marriage and sexuality and God's vision for where sexuality and how sexuality is to thrive. And there are, are deep and rich principles that you can draw from the library of scripture and often that counterbalance and, and add to each other in beautiful ways. Song of Songs is unbelievable. And, you know, in its celebration of romantic love and of human sexuality. And yet when you put that in the kind of context of the Old Testament stories about marriage, which are brutally realistic 
you know, mm. and and dispel kind of the Hollywood thing. There's a beautiful tension there that arises, you know, when you hold those two together, kind of that high exalted poetic romantic image of Song of Songs with the kind of literary, honest, you know, storytelling of the Old Testament with the clear teaching of the New Testament on how human sexuality is designed by God for a man and a woman and a covenant for life. You, you really start to emerge with a mosaic of, of a worldview that you can live into. And then I think as far as just how do you actually have healthy sexual relationships in marriage and how do you have, be a, a healthy single person when there isn't an outlet for your sexuality that has God's blessing on it in a very physical, literal sense? Those are questions that I think we just need to talk about in community. And, and there is so much wisdom and best practices. Human beings have been living for thousands of years, for a very long time. And there's lots of really smart, wise people inside and outside of the Christian tradition who have really great things to say about how to be in healthy relationships and what healthy sexuality looks like. And so I think the scripture gives us the kind of, this is what sex is, this is what it's for, and these are the, the boundaries for it, for it to receive God's blessing. And then we're left to kind of just, you know, explore God's world and search for wisdom and talk and help each other as we navigate kind of inside those boundaries. And and again, you know, all of this for followers of Jesus comes back to just trust. Every, everybody has some kind of boundaries by which they navigate life. That's not a Christian thing. That's just a human thing. And the question are, are where do you draw the lines? Where are those boundaries? And why are they there? And at the end of the day, it becomes because you have to trust somebody, whether that somebody is yourself or it's the New York Times or it's your professor or it's Jesus of Nazareth. You have to trust somebody's mental maps, you know what I mean? This is the road, this is the way to the, the life that you ache for, the, the human flourishing that you crave. And so to follow Jesus is to say, you know what? I have to trust somebody's mental maps. I'm gonna trust Jesus' mental maps. Even when they are at dissonance with what I feel, I'm gonna just trust that Jesus knows better than I do. And um, that's why it's faith, because you're trusting, you're trusting in his vision, even over your own. Great. Thank you. And I will let you go now, but do you have any top tips for people, especially British people who are very awkward in the dating world? <laughs> any top, <laughs> top tips for Christian dating? Oh, find a way to bring arranged marriage back. You know, <laughs> yeah, or I know. Something. Yeah. Oh, it's actually kind of coming back. You can make a strong case that arranged marriage is coming back through online dating apps, but um, just don't do it alone. Do it in community with other followers of Jesus. You know, it's so crucial that you process and you make decisions and you move toward the family of God and with the family of God and you stay tight and close and connected at a relational level. You know, that's pretty generic advice, but that's the yeah. main thing I would say. It's something that I feel like often gets missed as well. So it's good advice. Yes. Great. Thank well, you great so much. You, Sarah. Have a lovely day. Yeah. Thank you. What did you think? I well, first of all, I want to commend your interviewing skills. I think they Thank were very, very good, much. better than I could have done <laughs> in that situation. Did you picture this face just when he gets oh, my word. orgasm? I, the first time he said <laughs> orgasm, my <laughs> I just saw you being like, no, it's <laughs> like dying inside. Don't say these words. <laughs> Which shows that there's a big issue, basically. I know. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think it does. But I, I find that really interesting. I think he's got a lot of um, points that I think are very intriguing. 
mm. and things that I want to like think over and process as well. But there was, I think there was like three things that I found really interesting. Okay, great. Call them out before we end the episode. Okay, great. So the like, so the ones that I found really interesting were him talking about how we need to have a different theology of sex in the church, mm. and that the the talk of it before of it being a negative thing mm. is not being helpful for anybody. It is a good thing, and it was created to be good and enjoyed. Yeah. So I think that is something that we should definitely be talking about more. Yes. Totally. Um, and then equally, when he was talking about as single people how to contain that sexuality so like not saying that sexuality is wrong but how can we just like m- like manage it or how do we navigate sexuality well not and I liked his points about how um you know there's two levels of sexuality so like mm. the physical like very immediate yeah. desire and then actually like that deeper level that I think we as Christians would hold on to and believe in mm-hmm. like of that and just how we can navigate that and what does that actually mean and look like so I think that it was really yeah. interesting so you mean like the desire for to commune with others and for creativity yeah. like those mm-hmm. underlying things that we can like that yeah. he was saying Jesus had yeah despite the fact he was a single yeah. man through his life yeah so I think that it would be really interesting to talk about those points because as well when he was saying like sexuality and singleness is very different for um christians mm. and the secular world and it is yeah we're weirdos to everyone else I yeah think. no we really are yeah. i've been told that to my face <laughs> you're weird i mean like, they might not have been about that but <laughs> it was <laughs> but equally there might have been other points that was being made um and also the thought about dating in community mm. because I know in the previous episode with the other guys they were talking about how an off-put can be gossiping so I yeah. think something that would be really interesting to unpack a little bit further is what does dating in community look like and how do we do that well and what would be the benefits of it like how do we actually do that well and use that well without being gossiping but how can we navigate that and I think we've all well I've experienced something really recently actually which was really helpful mm. in that which I'm sure we'll talk about at another time oh, a little teaser I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, gonna ask you more about that in the future <laughs> yeah yeah well I do feel like I gave John Mark Comer a bit of a hard time because obviously as he says he's been married since his early 20s yeah. and I just entirely asked him questions about singleness and sexuality so at <laughs> very early in the morning so massive appreciation to him yeah, I know. for doing it with such good grace yeah no thank you and also thank you for i never know if you're gonna listen to this or not but thank you for <laughs> being part of it it was really great yeah and um, oh you talked to john mark Gaiman. yeah um, and you <laughs> i was definitely talking to john mark <laughs> yeah. i think you're just talking to our listeners oh yeah and her listeners we love you guys yeah <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening and we would be really keen to hear your thoughts yeah. on what has been discussed in this episode things you'd like us to pick up further yeah if you want us to get some other perspectives on this um we yeah. definitely will be talking yeah, about sexuality be- again yeah because there are so many different opinions and viewpoints on sexuality as well even within the church and christianity that i think it's worth like unpicking all of them mm. so tell us what you want us to talk about in regards yeah. to that yeah and as always you can email a tale of two singles at gmail.com you can follow us on instagram or on facebook at a tale of two singles if you fancy leaving us a review on mm. apple podcasts yeah. or on facebook we would love that because we know lots of people are listening we want to spread the word and lots yeah. of people have told us privately 
that they're enjoying it. But yeah. if you could also just tell us publicly, that would be great. We would not hate that. We would love that, in fact. <laughs> Um, yeah thank you guys so much for listening yeah thank you and um, next episodes we're back to the other guys yes episode 14 yeah so look forward to that part 2 of the lads yes lads 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 (laughs) see you soon (laughs) bye with the (laughs) wound every time it's the wound